get vexed. You're listening to Ari the Addison's on Urban Family Talk.
When you make more of everything else, you make less of Christ. Let's make more of Christ. Urban Family Talk. Airing the Addisons. Promoting truth. And so many of us, if we're honest about it, Will, we work overtime to avoid ever having to need God. Wisdom. We should see our kids as our disciples, ones who we pour into as Christians, we lead them to Christ. And empowerment. When we survey the landscape and all of the foolishness that makes the headlines that we discuss on this show in large part, I believe, man, they can point directly back to a loss of fear of God. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On Urban Family Talk, thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is the second hour of Aaron the Addisons, and we appreciate you. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. You can meet us in the Turban. I failed to mention this in the first hour. We just kind of got right into this Netflix uh, petition that we are asking you to sign um, so that we can <laughs> go back to Netflix after their first um, decision to ignore our president reaching out to them and saying, hey, pull this first season of, uh, of 13 Reasons and then don't release the second one. I want to just really quickly, because we have our guest on, Nathan Jones is with us. So I want to I want to go back to that and then we'll double back around maybe in the third hour. But I think it's actually really important or maybe really appropriate that we would sandwich between these two hours a discussion on heaven and hell when we are talking about a series produced by Netflix that has increased kids' um, curiosity and willingness to... Um, indulge in a permanent solution to a temporary problem, as the mm. late Anna Bright's dad said. Um, yeah. And if you're not familiar with that, bear with me. I'll give you more detail on that. Um, but I do want to get to our guest. Let me just say this. If you go to AFA.net, AFA.net, uh, you will see the call to action um, for the, the Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. Um, we talked about this series a year ago. Yeah. And we talked about the professionals who are not necessarily cheerleaders of righteousness who said (laughs) this is a problem. Mm -hmm. We talked about the two kids in California, the two little girls in California who committed suicide in the same way that this Hannah Baker does in this Netflix series. And now today we are talking about the 14-year-old late Anna Bright from Alabama who did the same thing in a Christian home, in a home where her parents fear the Lord. And so we got to talk about this. We got to have this conversation and we're going to do that. But I, I, I want to pause for a second because we talked yesterday about how we were having Nathan Jones on and we're going to talk about the misconceptions of heaven and hell. And this may be a very timely discussion for us to have. So let me do this. Let me introduce Nathan. Nathan serves as an associate evangelist and web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries, reaching out to the nearly 3 billion people accessible over the Internet with the good news of Jesus Christ. What an appropriate way to use the technological advances that we have. We see a lot of misuse these days. He's married to Heather Jones, who also serves at the ministry, encoding and transcribing the ministry's weekly television program, called Christ in Prophecy. They have three teenage children who love the Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I probably should have led with that. <laughs> because of all the important jobs Man, that we have. Yes. Rearing children who love the Lord is chief. Anyways, 
lifelong student of the Bible and ordained minister. Nathan attended Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and received his Master's of Management and Leadership at Liberty University. He's also, and I thought this was interesting, so I wanted to include this. Maybe he he might mention it a little bit. Uh, a student of the martial arts discipline, Hapkido. Am I saying that right? I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Nathan, am I saying that right? Yes, you got it just perfect, Mickey. Okay, good. So that means you can kick people on site. <laughs> <laughs> and throw them around a little, yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> For Jesus, yes, and throw them around a little bit. No, Nathan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out to join us so that we could have this conversation about the misconceptions of heaven and hell and what happens to people after they die. You know, the reason I wanted to have this conversation was because, and it's not new, but um, after the passing of Stephen Hawking, who was infamously or notoriously anti-God, you know, just in a high hand, as Will would say, high-handed fashion, uh, the enemy of God. But you saw people saying, you know, rest in peace and and believing that, you know, he's somehow with this God that he um, rejected in in every area of his work and his proclamations rejected this God. And, And it's deeply problematic for me. And then you couple that with Carlton Pearson, the apostate, who is saying that, you know, Basically, it's sort of the old Disney movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. There's <laughs> nobody's going to be condemned to hell. And which obviously, if you look at the scriptures, it makes a mockery of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so I wanted to invite you on, Nathan, to help us make sense of what it is that people are getting wrong and how we can respond to these people biblically. And probably more importantly than that, how we can know what the Bible actually says about heaven and hell um, so that we are not uh, inadvertently communicating something that's untrue. So how would you like to start? I know usually when you talk about this, you start with the misconceptions about heaven, but if there's a different place you'd like to go, I'm, I'm open for that. Okay, sure. Well, again, uh, Mickey, Will, I, I really appreciate you all having me on and your audience. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Check us out, uh, lamblion.com or christinprophecy.org. Like you said, that's where you can check out our TV show, Christ in Prophecy, which is aired all over the world on the major networks. And we cover a number of topics related to Bible prophecy, but my favorite topic is about heaven and hell, about the afterlife. And it's an exciting topic because every one of us holds within us an innate knowledge that there's something more beyond this lifetime. Uh, For example, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So, Mm -hmm. Miki, that means that God has put inside us the knowledge that there's something about us and about life that goes on beyond this existence. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, the problem, like you said, how do we respond to that information? We could be like Stephen Hawking and reject what God has innately put in our hearts, or we can seek the Lord and find Him and let the Holy Spirit guide us to His salvation. You know, when we learn of someone's passing, um, whether they are saved, they lived a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they professed Christ or not, there's a lot of confusion around what happens. Um, I've heard people say things like, you know, um, their loved one got their wings, that suddenly they <laughs> became angels, you know, and, and now their loved ones are singing these heavenly choruses in the presence of God. Um, there are people who say, no, your body goes to a holding place, and even if you're a Christian, you're not in the presence of God. And then I've, I've heard people say, you know, other things. 
How do we understand what happens after a person dies? Well, certainly there's a, a lot of misconceptions, and it says Hebrews 2.15 says that we live in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, we, we spend our life worrying what's going to happen after we die. Psalm 144.4 says, man is like a breath, his days are like a fleeting shadow. In other words, we don't live very long, so we, we spend most of our time trying to avoid it, and we create these misconceptions that give us comfort about what the afterlife is like. And mm. I think, <laughs> Will, Mickey, a lot of them we get from cartoons. I mean, how many times wow. have we seen the coyote chase the roadrunner, and the coyote falls off a cliff, and boom, he dies, and there he's sitting on the cloud, and he's playing a harp, <laughs> yes. or, or Yoda who dies and disappears and becomes one with the force. I mean, we get all these different uh, views of what the afterlife is like from media, and it really colors our misconceptions about what the true meaning of the, what the Bible teaches mm. about the afterlife. And so if we would return to Scripture, we would have a better understanding of what awaits those who pass from this life to the next. It's appointed for man to die once after that to face the judgment. So we understand by way of the Bible that this is not all there is to this life. When we get back, I want to talk about the timeline um, as you refer to it. You know, what happens when we take our last breath here and, and people are saying sort of their final goodbyes. I, I want you to explain to us biblically uh, what we know and, and even what we don't know, uh, we don't want to be found making assertions that are not in Scripture. And I know that you've unpacked this and taught this for many years. So help us understand that when we get back, we're going to grab the break. Nathan Jones is our guest this morning who serves as Associate Evangelist and Web Minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries, lamblion.com. Lamb Lion. You're going to want to put that B on lamb, everybody. <laughs> lamblion.com. We're going to grab the break and we'll be right back. Help me see clearly This flesh is worth This flesh is worth The influence of media is so very powerful over a person. American Family Association and the family of Anna Bright want to warn you about the Netflix program 13 Reasons Why. I really feel in my heart with all my soul that that show contributed to her passing. After binge-watching season one of 13 Reasons Why, 14-year-old Anna Bright committed suicide in the same manner depicted on the show. To portray suicide, first of all, as an option is not a good thing. To portray it graphically, it leaves you vulnerable to the enemy's attack, which I think it definitely did for our daughter. She took a permanent solution to a temporary situation. Help protect our teens by signing the AFA petition urging Netflix to pull season one and cancel the upcoming season two of 13 Reasons Why. You can see Anna's story and sign the petition at afa.net. That's afa.net. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Former Packers head coach Mike Holmgren knew that defensive end Reggie White was a devout Christian. So, when he wanted to sign White to play for him, he called Reggie up and said, Reggie, this is God. I want you to play in Green Bay. Then he hung up the phone. It only took White six seasons in Green Bay to rack up 68 sacks and become the team's all-time leading pass rusher. While he was competing, he took the time to learn Hebrew and served as a minister at the Baptist church he attended. 
His uncommon tenacity on the field and his faith off the field earned him the nickname, the Minister of Defense. New York Times bestselling author Tony Dungy, author of Quiet Strength and the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. More than a million believers have signed the pledge to boycott Target, and we urge you to join them. The American Family Association opposes the policy of Target allowing transgenders into the bathroom of their choice. Here's AFA President Tim Wildman. There's a reason why we've had male and female separation in restrooms and fitting rooms for all of mankind's history. A policy which allows men into women's restrooms and fitting rooms is not right, nor is it safe. I just can't see corporate executives at Target or anywhere else sitting around a table going, you know, guys, I think we need to uh, open up our women's restrooms for men. Visit AFA.net to learn more and sign the pledge to boycott Target. Don't spend your money at Target until they stop putting our family members at risk with this dangerous, politically correct policy. Protect your wives, daughters, your sisters, your moms. Don't shop at Target. Let them know. That's AFA.net. Airing the Addisons. Addisons. Promoting truth, Truth, wisdom, wisdom, and empowerment empowerment on Urban Family Talk. Only three years old when his pops walked out the door. Didn't want the man up, so we chose to go. So now his child's supposed to grow without a father, and that right there can be harder than trying to breathe underwater. And that decision. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Thank you so much for making us your morning show as you head off to work and school. We really do appreciate that. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's uh, Five featuring Cam with Freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. You can meet us in the Turban at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Um, that's our online platform so that you can communicate with us and other listeners in real time. Uh, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. We're a ministry division of the American Family Association. I also like to direct you to AFA.net for the various calls to action um, that are there. And I want to invite you to take action right now. We are asking you to take action on um, an action alert with involving Netflix. And you heard that during the break. So I want to invite you to go to AFA.net. AFA.net, click on that action alert and uh, read it, read it, and then take action. Our guest this morning is Nathan Jones, who serves as Associate Evangelist and Web Minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries, uh, lamblion.com. If you want to research him, learn more about what they produce, a wonderful ministry producing great content for the Internet, great content. Uh, Lamblion.com is the website. Uh, We're talking about misconceptions about heaven And I asked before we went to the break uh, about a timeline for those who are saved. Let me just say this. Pew Research looked at the amount of people who are the number of people who believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And back in 2015, they had a report out that found uh, seven in 10, about 72 percent of Americans say they believe in heaven Hmm. as defined as a place, quote, where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. People who have led good lives lives. are eternally rewarded. So Mm. 72% of Americans believe in heaven as a place for people who have led, quote, good lives. Okay? Now, 58% of U.S. adults also believe in hell. So not as many people 
believe in hell as believe in heaven. That's interesting, right? So there are <laughs> there are eternal rewards. And what of punishments? No, no. Don't speak <laughs> of such. No. About 58% of U.S. adults believe in hell um, as defined as a place, quote, where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. Now, I would imagine that our brother Nathan here might take some issue with how we understand those who inherit eternal life and those who don't, those who go to heaven and those who go to eternal destruction and torment. But I think it's interesting to bring into the conversation that about 72% of Americans believe that there is a heaven that is reserved (laughs) um, for those who have led good lives, right? And about 58% of Americans believe in hell, a place where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. Uh, Nathan, do you want to comment on that before we get right back into where we left off, or do you want to just pick up and maybe deal with this kind of as we go? No, that's a, those are fantastic statistics. I, I have heard them. It really it's interesting to know that more people uh, believe in a heaven than, than the other place, hell. And that's because it goes back to the misconceptions we were talking about. You know, we talked uh, a little about how we uh, are misconceiving things based on culture. But there's also other religious aspects. You mentioned Stephen Hawkins dying. He believed that once you died, you, you were wiped out. You disappeared. You were annihilated. But Jesus frequently discussed the afterlife, and like mm-hmm. Luke 16 and 20. So, no, we don't wink out of existence. Or there's those who teach reincarnation, that we come back again and again and try to get rid of the bad karma. But Hebrews 9.27 says, just as man is destined to die once, to mm-hmm. die once. So we will not be reincarnated. There's others who teach purgatory, that you must go and, and suffer for in a time in a place called purgatory where you purge yourself of your sins. But First John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from mm-hmm. all sins. So we don't need to burn off our sins. Other misconceptions include soul sleep, that when we die, we're, we're trapped with our bodies six feet under, which absolutely sounds frightening. But Second <laughs> Corinthians 5, 8 tells us to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Amen. We have movies like It's a Wonderful Life teaching us that we're going to become angels. You know, we'll die and we'll inherit these wings and we'll get a halo. But Hebrews 1, 14 tells us, are not all angels ministering spirits sent mm. to serve those who will inherit salvation. So no, we won't become angels. Or that heaven is an extremely boring place. It's a spiritual world. There's nothing physical. We sit on clouds and we play harps all day long. You know, it sounds <laughs> very dull. But that was a Greek heresy called Gnosticism, that the material world was bad and uh, the spirit world is good. It's not biblical whatsoever. But, Miki, to get to, back to the, your point, I think the greatest misconception of all is what people have about heaven is in the getting there. Mm-hmm. Many have this false assumption that the road of life automatically takes us to heaven. In other words, if we do more bad than good, we can't just convince God to let us in, then we're dead and destined to hell. And some believe we can all convince God just to let us in because he's so loving. But in reality, we're all living our life going down that road that leads to hell. Hell, of course, is just as real as heaven, and Mm -hmm. I'll get into that. But we know this is true because Jesus himself told us there's a choice we have to make to get off the road to hell and go to heaven. Otherwise, we fall under John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him.
Mm, man, you know, I and, and, and man, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for walking us through all of those various beliefs, because I think sometimes when we talk to Christians and, and these are people who have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but have also added to that all of the various teachings that you've that you've delineated here. Mm-hmm. They've, they've kind of just folded into their belief that there is a savior, um, sort of what they believe the afterlife is like. Yeah. Let's let's double back to, as you mentioned, uh, some of the misconceptions about heaven. So we're not just talking about grapes that don't have the skin on it. We're not talking about just <laughs> this wonderful life of ease and harps. What are some of the other common misconceptions um, about heaven and, and what people are thinking and even expecting? Well, it's in the how you get there. I think a lot of people are confused about how you get there. And mm-hmm. so you'd mentioned the, uh, doing a timeline. So let's do that. Let's just okay. let's say that you're driving down the road, you're in your car, and heaven forbid someone cuts you off, big accident, and you die. What happens? Mm-hmm. Most people, they don't know what happens. But you go to the Bible. The Bible's our source of that information. Mm-hmm. And Luke 16 and uh, chapters also 23 tell us that your spirit would immediately upon death be ushered into Jesus' presence by his angels to heaven. So that's it. You're dead, and your soul will be taken from you and ushered into Jesus' presence by his angels in heaven. And that's, now, that's now Nathan, let me, now, let me just ask this question. Are, are we talking about a timeline? This is for those who are saved, Correct. Right. That's okay. That's an excellent okay. point. We are talking about if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are born and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then this is your timeline. This okay. is the timeline for those who rejected Jesus' salvation. Okay. That's where do we get the term salvation? We are saved. We are saved from our sins, and we're saved from the judgment of those sins, which is hell. So if you're saved, you're saved from all that. This Perfect. Uh, there you brought that point up, Nikki. Yes, uh, this is the timeline of the saved. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay. So you are standing before Jesus. You've been ushered into His presence by His angels, and now here's the, where the people kind of go off the rails. Here they assume then that they're going to be a spirit floating around heaven forever. But the Bible gives us this. It, it, it doesn't give us the exact description, but it's kind of like an intermediate body. It's the body between the one we have now and our resurrected body. It's a it's a real physical body. It's not a ghost. It's recognizable. It's clothed. Uh, we know from John four twenty four that God alone is spirit. Matter of fact, uh, when Jesus was giving us the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man was uh, thirsty. He was hot. And so obviously spirits don't get hot, they don't get thirsty, so we have physical bodies. When Samuel was brought before Saul after Samuel had died, Saul recognized Samuel, so these are recognizable. And at the transfiguration, both Moses and Elijah, Elijah, they were clothed, and we read in Revelation 7, the tribulation martyrs are clothed. So we will have physical, recognizable, and clothed bodies when we're in heaven. Okay, okay, carry on. Let's. So, so this is right after a person dies, they are ushered? Uh, into the presence of Jesus, and and what happens after that point? Well, there we, uh, for a time, live with Jesus, and we wait for this time called the rapture, where God is going to take up those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior from this church age up to heaven before he pours out his wrath on the earth called the tribulation. And that's when the great resurrection that the Bible occurs, where those who are alive, they will be caught up to heaven. They will be transformed into their eternal glorified bodies. It, it happens real fast, according to First Thessalonians 4, like a twinkle in an eye. Now, if you're already dead and you're in heaven, those intermediate bodies are also resurrected and transformed into our eternal glorified bodies. 
Hmm. You no. know, this... Oh, go ahead, Will. I was just going to ask, because there's a, um, you know, commonly thought that, you know, when a person dies, say if a family member dies, husband, father, whatever, do do we have any indication that we will uh, know those people in heaven or will it will it be a different type of, of knowing? Like, I, I know there will be no marriage and no giving in marriage, so it won't be that. Are you asking, will we recognize them as family as family, in a way that's different or, from everyone else? Yeah, as some some people, that, yeah, different from everyone else. That's, this is a special person. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, again, uh, Saul was able to recognize Samuel, and Samuel remembered Saul, so we have that example. Mm-hmm. The rich man, while he was in Hades, uh, waiting his judgment, he recognized the uh, uh, Lazarus. And so there are definitely recognizable examples in the Bible. Uh, it's interesting that Peter, although they had no picture when they were at the transfiguration, they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Uh, so there is a, mm-hmm. definitely a recognition. Now, mm-hmm. some will turn to Isaiah 65 and say that we won't remember the things of the past, and I believe that that's referring to that we won't remember the awful things of the past, the sins of the past. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. want to spend eternity dwelling on evil because we will be always in the presence of good. But the Bible has many examples that show that we are going to recognize our families, and uh, it will be a great celebration uh, while we're in heaven. There will be a number of activities that we will eventually do. Like, for instance, there will be a great celebration called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, mm-hmm. Revelation 19, where, where the Bride of Christ, the Church, is spiritually married to Jesus Christ. It's a, a great celebration, a, a, a great feast. Also, while we're up there is the Judgment of the Just, Second mm-hmm. Corinthians 5.10, where it's not a judgment for salvation because Jesus Christ already did all that saving work. It's a judgment for rewards. The sins are forgiven in the cross and forgotten, but we're going to be judged based on what we let the Holy Spirit do through us to minister while in this life. And we'll be judged on the quantity, the quality, and the motive behind those works. And the third thing we'll be doing, we know in heaven, is preparing with Jesus Christ to return to the earth at his second coming at the end of the tribulation. Oh, man, this is so exciting. Nathan, I, Nathan I'm telling you, I'm just, I, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I'm, I'm already learning so much and being so encouraged. Let me just ask this, because, you know, as you're kind of going through this timeline, one of the things that stands out to me is sort of the, the confirmation of the encouragement that we have by way of the Holy Spirit via the Apostle Paul, that we don't grieve as those who have no hope, that even those of us who suffer loss, you know, and we're walking through, we've got loved ones who are terminally ill, and but they are in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they have put their faith and their trust in the Lord. Um, this is something that they, they are able to clearly articulate. This provides a great deal of comfort for us. It's not meant to terrify us, but it should be quite comforting to us to understand that a person who dies in the Lord goes to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. This should encourage our hearts, should it not? That's the whole message of Bible prophecy. A lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about Bible prophecy as well. They believe it's all antichrist and tribulation and gloom and doom. That's just a small part of it. The Hope, the blessed hope, as Titus tells us, is the return of Jesus Christ in victory, and because Jesus is victorious, we, the Church, are victorious as well, and we rule and reign with him forever. That's the end of the story. That's the blessed hope. Man, praise God. Glory to God. Now, I want to do this. 
And and I, I don't ever want to go outside of the reaches of the scriptures, Nathan. Um, but I also don't want to ignore what's clearly laid out for us in the Bible. We we need to know. We need to know. So I want to ask this question, and I want to be very careful with it. And, and maybe you've explored this, maybe not. But when we look at people who have publicly and privately, like in our own personal lives, there are people who have these large platforms and the world knows them. And then there are people that only we know. They're, they're significant to us. They matter to us. You know what I'm saying? We, they're, they're our family members. They're our friends and coworkers. But we can look at these people. And I don't know how else to say this. I don't know PC, and I don't do it very well. So help me, Nathan. But we look at these people and we say, you know, I don't know what happens in the last moments of a person's life. But this person lived as an enemy of God. Now, the thing that I struggle with here, Nathan, and maybe you can help me, is that we seem to be very afraid of pointing to what Jesus said um, as to what is required of those who would be those who inherit eternal life. You know, because we kind of don't want to find ourselves standing in the place of like judge and saying, well, this is where they went. Is there any way that we as believers who are reading the Bible can say, well, if this person in life didn't live according to what the scriptures say, I mean, can we make any assumptions, I guess, is what I'm asking. And I know that's dangerous, but do you, do you see what I'm saying here, Nathan? Well, the Bible teaches us that we'll know a believer by their fruit, their spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. They will also have a passion to share God's Word. I mean, that's why we were created. We're for, number one, we were created to have fellowship with God, and so that's why we have free will. God wants to populate eternity with people who actually want to be with Him forever, so we mm-hmm. get that choice. Uh, but while we're on this earth, we are living under the Great Commission of Acts 1-8. We are to go into the world and preach the gospel. So if you see a life where nobody shares their faith, they keep it under a lamp, they're very timid about it, and they don't live as the Bible teaches, then yes, we can wonder if they've truly accepted Jesus Christ or not. But as and the Bible teaches, only the Lord knows the heart, Amen. and only the Lord knows if a person is saved or not. Amen. Amen. And and I think there's safety in that. I think we're we're doing well to make sure that we don't go beyond the reaches of the Bible. On the flip side of that coin, I think we can get into trouble by trying to confer upon people uh, eternal life when they vehemently rejected the Lord in their life. Um, what do you say to that? I had a friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, whose father was dying of cancer. For years of smoking, his brain was actually rotting, mm-hmm. and he was the one of the meanest curmudgeon you'd ever met. And on his deathbed, my friend tried and tried to witness to him. And finally he said to my friend, he says, yeah, yeah, whatever, if you leave me alone. And to my friend, that was the, the hope for him. He's like, all right, now he's saved. And I'm mm. like, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> deathbed confession doesn't always mean salvation. It might mean no. just leave me alone. And I, that's exactly what his father said. So, yes, there's... You can't live a life as an enemy of God and expect that you're going to show up on God's doorstep and say, mm. all right, let me in. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's something that is sometimes very difficult for us to process because, again, more people believe in heaven than hell. So <laughs> we largely believe that we'll be rewarded in the afterlife, not judged and certainly not condemned. That's a problem. Yeah. Let's grab the break. We come back more with our guest, Nathan Jones of Lamb Lion Ministries lamblion.com. We'll take a break and be right back.
Chris Brooks. We cannot underestimate the responsibility of evangelism. That is why shows like this, Equipped, which is committed to equipping you every day to live, share, and defend your faith, are extremely important because anyone who does not confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is outside of God's saving grace. Equipped, weekdays at noon central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for his service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Do we see a pattern in these school shootings? Emily Kao recently wrote about the crisis of fatherless shooters. She says there is a sobering theme found in the biographies of school shooters, fatherlessness. Of the 25 most cited school shooters since Columbine, 75% were reared in broken homes. Psychologist Dr. Peter Langman, a preeminent expert on school shooters, found that most came from incredibly broken homes of not just divorce and separation, but also infidelity, substance abuse, criminal behavior, domestic violence, and child abuse. She also cites two criminologists who found that the absence of fathers was one of the most powerful predictors of crimes. Fathers are role models for their sons. They help maintain authority and discipline and help sons develop self-control and empathy towards others. Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Boy Crisis, says a boy's identity is composed of half his dad and half his mom. If his dad abandons him, he fears he is not worthy. Of course, there are also other factors. Jay Warner Wallace describes some of the changes in our culture in the last few decades that are having an impact. For example, there has been an increase in social media use. In a recent survey, teenagers were reported that they often felt bad about themselves when viewing social media. Many report being bullied online. He also points to an increased dependency on prescription medicine. While there is certainly a benefit to medicine to treat many mental issues, he also points to the fact that many of the school shooters were using or had recently stopped using prescription drugs. He also points to the decrease in traditional Christian values. This shift in our moral foundation is no doubt another important factor. That is why we should pay attention to the cultural shift taking place around us that is influencing the next generation. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For more information about issues covered on Viewpoints, visit pointofview.net pointofview.net Let's get into the thick of it. Aaron the Addison's on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on Urban Family Talk. Urban Family is a ministry division of the American Family Association. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Nathan Jones is our guest this morning um, who is uh, serving at Lamb and Lion Ministries as an associate evangelist and web minister. Um, he's also the author of 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. 
I want to invite you to connect mm. with Nathan at lamblion.com, lamblion.com. You can also go to christandprophecyblog.org, christandprophecyblog.org. Um, we're talking this morning about heaven. We're talking about the misconceptions of heaven and hell. And as you hear um, our Louisiana L.A. Will um, <laughs> talking about he's, he's going to live forever as only L.A. Will can do it. Um, anyway, welcome back. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's L.A. Will with Start Living. Yes. Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. You're in the Churban, um, our online chat forum um, at UrbanFamilyTalk.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. There is a question in the Churban, and I want to bring that um, to Nathan and just kind of get his, his biblical response on that. So Leslie asked the question, did pre-Jesus saints go straight to heaven? So in other words, and I think, I mean, there's no need for other words. It makes, <laughs> her, her question makes sense. What happened to those who died before the Lord Jesus Christ, Nathan? Does the Bible tell us or give us any indication? Right, right. Well, people have always been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ based on faith. But before Jesus died on the cross, the blood hadn't been shed yet. So they went to a place called Hades. It's also in the Bible was referred to as Sheol. And mm-hmm. it's a place that we can read in Luke 16, where Hades was divided into two compartments. There was a compartment called Torments, where those who died in unfaithfulness would go and wait final judgment. And then the other side of it, across this great bottomless pit, which one day Satan will be cast into, there is a place called Paradise. Mm-hmm. And that's a holding place for those who were faithful in the Old Testament. And when Jesus died on the cross, we know that he he went down after he died, and he led captives free. He brought up the people from paradise, and there the Old Testament saints are in heaven this day. Wow. Wow. Praise God. Hmm. I wonder, and I, I mean, I don't know this. I'm just throwing this out. I wonder if a misunderstanding of that is what has led to this uh, erroneous thought about purgatory, or this teaching about purgatory. Do you, do you have any comments on that, Nathan? You're absolutely right. It, well, again, it's a, it's a works-based salvation. It's something that the Catholic Church, which I've always considered a cult, because mm-hmm. it adds to the gospel. It adds a layer of works to the gospel. It adds mm-hmm. more intermediaries between us and Jesus Christ. That direct mm-hmm. line is gone because you have to go through all these priests. And so they added this idea centuries after Christ that you had to go to this place called purgatory and burn off your sins mm-hmm. before you were allowed in heaven. <laughs> and you could pay the Catholic Church uh, indulgences to earn some time off of purgatory. It was a big money market racket. Yeah. And so unfortunately, the idea of purgatory has uh, really permeated the Catholic Church and society, but it's not a biblical concept, and it didn't even show up in the Church history until centuries after Christ. Mm. Mm. Nathan, thank you so much for addressing mm. that, and, and thank you for the boldness of, of the truth there. Let's turn to um, sort of the darker side of this conversation, because we've talked about uh, you know, some of the misconceptions about heaven and the timeline uh, of those who are saved. Let's talk about the timeline of those who are unsaved. What mm. does the Bible okay. tell us about that? Well, we left those who are in heaven going back with Jesus Christ at the second coming. They watched Jesus Christ set up his kingdom on earth where he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. There'll be one last satanic rebellion, and then we'll enter the eternal state. We'll, it will actually not stay in heaven anymore. God will build a city called this New Jerusalem, and the New Jerusalem will come down on the new earth, and mm. earth will be the capital of the universe. But that isn't the future for those who've rejected Jesus as Christ's salvation. They died in the rebellion to God. Their future is, like you said, very real. It's a very different destination. So this is what happens. You're driving down the street. 
you die in a car accident, this is what happens. Those same angels, instead of taking you to heaven, will take you down to that place in Hades called torments. It's a holding place. It's a prison, a waiting place for final judgment. We can read about that in Luke 16. And at the end of time, after that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, we will get to, as Revelation 20 tells us, the resurrection of the unjust, the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 says, that I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Mm. Now, bear in mind, when the judgment of the just, we were judged based on our works because the saving work of Jesus Christ had already been done, and we'd accepted it. But for those Mm -hmm. who'd rejected it, they stand, again, on judgment for their works, but they're missing the one work that counts, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And unfortunately, sadly, for so many of our loved ones that have rejected God, we know Revelation 20 tells us that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Mm. You know, Nathan, this is this is a hard truth for so many people who are listening in and and they're going man you know well, well what about this person who's already dead you know and and this is really difficult for people to grapple with let me ask you this so in the illustration that you use to sort of um describe for us what happens to the saved and then now what happens to the unsaved um at their passing is there an immediate understanding i know and and i'll tell you why i'm asking this question there was a tweet that um got uh an individual uh public person in trouble because he said that stephen hawking now knows that there is a god i guess in short what i'm asking you is is that a fact when when those who have been who have lived as god's enemy they have made it sort of (laughs) in this case their business to reject god um when they are taken to this place of torments, do they immediately know everything that I've ever heard or rejected, everything that I have known, because man is without excuse, the Bible teaches us. Is there a reality that kind of sets in for them at that point, or is that held back for from them and then reserved until later? No, they will know. Uh, bear in mind the Bible teaches that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That mm. means... Stalin and Mao and Hitler and your local abortionist provider and mm. great, great old, you know, granny mom. She, they all know, everyone, everybody who's ever existed, angels too, will stand before God. Satan himself will stand mm. before God, bow his knee, and call Jesus Lord and Savior. But that doesn't mean it's a second chance for salvation. Deuteronomy 18 tells us that in, in torments, there's a conscious existence. In other words, they, they're not knocked out. They know they're awake, they're alive. Luke 16 talks about a separation between man and God, this feeling that we're cut off from the source of life, because that's what death is. It's a a cut off from life, and Jesus Christ is the source of life. We reject him. We say, we don't want him. He says, okay, but I'm the source of your life, and without me, you don't live. So it's eternal death. 
Luke 16 also tells us it's a place of loneliness, a place where we're convicted by our memories, that, that it's also physical. We, we thirst. Revelation 9-2 indicates there's a feeling of falling, of never landing, but constantly falling. Oh. Matthew 8 tells us it's a place of gnashing of teeth and, and weeping and, and torment. It is a punishment for rebellion. It's a separation from life and from God. You know, Nathan, um, you you would imagine that one who um, made himself known by his rebellion against God and, you know, I will ascend and wanting to stand in the place of God, you would imagine that um, one of one of the better lies that he might craft, and I'm talking about our enemy, Satan, one of the better lies, excuse the expression, that he might craft might be that hell is the place where he rules. He might cause this delusion that people think, you know, well, hell is a place of, of partying for those who have, you know, rejected this God, that that Satan somehow is the king over that darkness. How is this um, erroneous? And what does the Bible teach us about whether or not Satan's going to be ruling or there's going to be any sort of kingdom uh, in hell? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the Muslims teach that, that Satan rules in hell. He's there as God's... Uh, I guess, instrument of torment and torture, and that's where we get this idea that, that Satan and his demons are down in hell, and they're stoking the fires, and they've got pitchforks, and they're, they're poking people. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Mm-hmm. Matthew twenty five forty one teaches us that hell was created originally for Satan's and demons. It's their punishment, but when man sinned, we fell, and we became under that same sentence of hell. So, no, Satan doesn't rule hell. Matter of fact, there's nobody in hell right now. When they die in unbelief, they go to Hades waiting that great white throne judgment, where then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of time. So you're absolutely right, Nikki. Satan doesn't rule hell. He is the chief prisoner of hell. Mm. Is there a misconception, you know, when a believer, if a believer may say, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have my mansion? Is it more more like, you know, uh, I think another translation say rooms. Is that a more accurate depiction of of what it's like? Because sometimes I, I I remember being young and hearing that all the time. When we get to heaven, we're gonna have our mansion and stuff like that. Uh, and can what are your thoughts on that? that? Can we broaden that question mm-hmm. too, Will? Like, what are the rewards that await those yeah, of us who good. have inherited eternal life? And I I think the the ultimate reward that maybe goes without saying, but we need to say it is the Lord. Amen. It's to be in the presence of the Lord. But in addition to that, what awaits those who, who have inherited eternal life? Well, the Bible spends most of its time explaining the millennial kingdom, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. It only spends two chapters, Revelation and 21 and 22, telling us about the eternal state. The Bible doesn't give us tremendous amount of details, but to answer your question, well, it gives us a tremendous amount of description about what those mansions will be like. And those mansions are actually compartments of a city called the New Jerusalem. John fourteen two says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Now, we read in Revelation 21 of this massive city. It's either cube or pyramid-shaped because it's 1,500 miles cubed. That means 1,500 miles mm-hmm. wide and long and high. And hmm. so it would stretch from Canada to Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean to Colorado on the New Earth, which means then the New Earth will be much bigger. It's been calculated oh, that wow. if 20 billion people live there, including angels, each of us would get 70 acres 
cubed, cubed. So it's a massive, <laughs> wow. massive place, and that's where God rules. God rules from wow. the center of it. Of course, it's all pure gold. The streets are gold. The foundations are made of emeralds and other precious stone and have the 12 apostles' names on them. There's 12 mm. gates, each made with a solid pearl with the name of the 12 <laughs> tribes on each one of them. The throne of God sits at the center, and the throne of God God himself is the light. He is the source mm-hmm. of light in the entire city. And yeah. out of that throne flows the river of life, and there's the tree of life from Genesis. And God lives there, and we live there in fellowship and worship and prayer forever and ever. Oh, man, that that's the best. I hate that we've got about a minute and some change left because that is the best possible place to land this discussion this morning. That makes me so excited that I'm yelling and people like me, you always yell. But, you know, for a reason. Right. That makes me so excited. Glory to God, like glory to God that the Lord loves us so much. Not only does he redeem us, but he prepares a place for us that surpasses our ability to even comprehend it. I mean, a gate carved out of one pearl? Like, we don't do, we don't even know where these pearls are. Like, do you understand yeah, what I'm saying? Like, is that the, oyster, right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, glory to God. Okay, I want to ask you this, Nathan. I'll put you on the spot here. There are people who are listening who have not made the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord is really tugging on their hearts, seriously, and the Holy Spirit is prompting them. As we go to the end of this hour, would you pray for those people right now? I'll do that. Folks, you have a decision to make in your life. All of life goes down to one decision, Jesus Christ or not. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then pray from your heart something like, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And Jesus promised to do just that. Your sins will be forgiven, the guilt will be lifted off you, and you'll inherit eternal life with Him forever. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Praise God. Nathan, thank you so much. LambLion.com. Y'all go check it out. LambLion.com. This will not be the last time that you hear from Nathan Jones on this program. Uh, We're going to take this break for American Family News, and we'll be right back with Hour 3. So you stay close.